Well, look, I'm back. Hey, well, welcome again. It's so good to have you with us again. My name is Joshua. Thank you if you're tuning in online as well, joining us online. And for those of you that braved it and came on out to be with us live today, it's so good to see you. Uh, let me just kind of set up how my week went, okay? Just, this could sound like a pity party, but so first of all, you probably all heard Pastor Brent was diagnosed with COVID on Tuesday. Now, just for the record, I was not planning on preaching today. In fact, I was really looking forward to sitting where you're sitting and listening to Brent close out the series on Nehemiah. So I went into preacher mode. And, uh, not on, and then on top of that, um, I had uh, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law had a baby boy born uh, this week, and he was born with some complications, and they had to rush him to uh, Children's for an emergency surgery. So you add that in there. And, uh, and a staff have been getting sick, and it just felt like one thing. And on top of that, I'm not going to go into it. There were some issues with my dad this week, who's 74. And uh, again, I'm not going to dive into that. And then I guess somewhere in there, I heard there was like an election or something uh, this week. There was, I guess that was important. I, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention, but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, anyways, it feel, it's it felt like a whirlwind, and, and maybe you can relate to that this, uh, this week. And just know I'm with you. I feel you. Um, but in light of all that, I did, I hope you'll hear my, I did feel this, just this urge to once again pray for our nation. I just think we need to again. And I think we need to keep doing it. And so before I even jump into the message today, can I just ask, would you join me, please? I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for our leaders, and, and I'd love for you to join me in that. Well, Heavenly Father, as we continue to face these uncertain times in our nation and the world, we ask you, Lord, just dwell among us. Just be here. We boldly ask for more of you, more of you in our lives, more of you in our homes, more of you in our nation. We do indeed find comfort in the knowledge that you alone are the Savior and you are still on the throne. We trust our nation to your loving care and we pray for our country. Send your spirit to touch the hearts of our nation's leaders. Give them the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. We pray right now for the current president and we also pray for the future president. We pray for our nation, and we pray for that leader's staff. And we pray over these people regardless of our political preferences and regardless of our grumblings. Lord, guide their decisions. Give them discernment and wisdom. And Lord, I also pray that you'd place in the American people a deep need to be loved and known and a desire to find hope that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for us. Make us ready to share the reason for the hope that we have with the people around us. We need you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this and ask this. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Well, today we're going to close our series on the book of Nehemiah. And man, it has been a journey. Nehemiah, at the end of chapter 12, just to give you some context, he's gone back to Persia now to finish his duties serving the king of Babylon. You remember way back in chapter 1, 
Way when we started this series, we learned that Nehemiah had a really plush job. He had a pretty cool job in basically the Persian White House. But sensing God's clear leading, Nehemiah requested to leave and take a team of builders to reconstruct the walls surrounding Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah was appointed the leader of this group, the governor, and he served for 12 years in that position. Now, he dealt with the enemies, he organized the people, he rebuilt the wall, he set up the infrastructure for the repopulated city, and he led a great celebration of dedication. And when he was done with all this, and let's admit, that's a really impressive list of accomplishments, he went back to Persia as, his, as a senior advisor to the king. That was his role. Now, we don't know how long he stayed back in Persia, but it was probably several years. And when he finally finished his government job in Susa, he came back to Jerusalem because he wanted to retire and eventually be buried in the city of his fathers. And chapter 13, the final chapter of Nehemiah, tells us what he discovered when he returned. Now, to sum it up, the people had backslid and broken every single promise they made to God. Oh, poor Nehemiah. I just, I feel for the guy. When I was a freshman in college, I took my spring break with a bunch of friends and I signed up to serve with Habitat for Humanity down in Jackson, Mississippi. It was a really cool experience. I had a ton of fun. And as we loaded the school buses, yes, we took school buses. It was a terrible trip. We began our long trek south, and I noticed the further, the further we got from Minnesota, I noticed this strange plant growing all over the place. And it fascinated me because it was growing all over everything. It was consuming power lines. It was all over bridges. It was consuming other trees. It was consuming homes. I even saw it consuming vehicles everywhere we went. I was fascinated by this. So I wanted to learn what this was. Let me introduce you to what I learned to be the kudzu plant. I have some pictures. Now, the kudzu plant is classified as an, as an invasive species and is known as the plant that almost ate the south. It was introduced from Japan to the United States in 1876, originally as an ornamental plant. Now, in 1935, dust storms began to damage prairies and other valued lands. So Congress declared war on soil erosion and enlisted kudzu plant as the primary weapon. Now, farmers were a little suspicious of this new plant, but the Soil Conservation Service offered as much as $8 an acre to anyone willing to plant this stuff. Now, that was a pretty good deal of money back in 1935, so many farmers agreed to plant the kudzu. Now, it turned out to be a very costly mistake because it invaded everything. At its, at its height, kudzu covered between an estimated 7 million to 9 million acres of land across the United States, mostly in the South. Once established, kudzu grows at a rate of a foot per day with mature vines growing as long as 100 feet. It spreads quickly, and it invades everything. Now, if you drive through the South today, kind of like I did my freshman year, you can still see the plant. You can still find it shimmying up trunks of trees. I mean, it looks like a monster. It's just devouring stuff. You see, this vine that might have saved the South from oil erosion 
It became the notorious vine that almost consumed the south. What's my point? Just like the kudzu plant, when we compromise on sin, thinking that it's okay, even just a little bit, it's like planting just a few kudzu seeds in our life. We think it's harmless. And if we let that sin continue to grow unchecked, it can become an invasive, out-of-control problem that's hard to fix after it's too late. Friends, listen to me. Israel allowed sin. They allowed broken promises to creep in. Like the kudzu plant, and guess what? It overtook every part of their lives. It consumed the nation. And not for the good. God wants something better for his people. And God wants something better for you. And when sin invades, he wants us to take drastic actions in dealing with it. Friends, we should not compromise with sin. It will destroy your life. Now we're going to learn from today's text found in Nehemiah 13 how to recognize some compromising places in our lives, just like the Israelites did, and we're going to learn how to deal and take action with making up some of that lost ground if we've allowed that to spread. So four areas, four areas that I want to explore today. The first one is this. Don't compromise your closest relationships. Don't compromise your closest relationships. Let's pick up Nehemiah 13, starting at verse 4. Here's what it says. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah, don't miss that, and he prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, and the tenths of grain, new wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. Now, do you guys remember Tobiah? I hope so. Tobiah was not a good guy. This is the same Tobiah that has been an enemy of Nehemiah and Israel from the start. All of a sudden, Eliashib, the high priest, by the way, is buddy-buddy with Tobiah. What? Friends, if there was one person Eliashib should have avoided altogether, it was Tobiah. Not only that, Eliashib actually gives Tobiah room and board on the temple property. You guys, Eliashib should have known better than this. It reminds me of what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this in verse 33. It says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I think Eliashib did not follow this advice. This got me thinking. This got me thinking about how people can influence us, particular, particularly people that we allow into our inner circle of influence. You see, the mistake that Eliashib made was that he allowed Tobiah into his inner circle of influence and it affected his duties to serve God. And guess what? It had a ripple effect and consequences for Israel's spiritual condition. Guys, I got to ask you a hard question. And I got to ask me a hard question. Are there people you have allowed into your inner circle of influence that perhaps you should not have let in? Think about your closest friends or those that you go to for wisdom and guidance. Are they in line 
with right living according to what God's word says. You see, when we allow the wrong people into our inner circle of influence, I'm telling you, it's like planting a few kudzu seeds of bad decisions into our lives. Eventually, it's going to spread, and their influence will lead to even more bad decisions. This is what happened with Eliashib. He should have never allowed Tobiah a foot in the door and into his inner circle of influence. It caused a spiritual erosion in his life and in the lives of the people. So how did Nehemiah react? The dude cleaned house, okay? Literally, look at this, verse 7. Then I, Nehemiah, discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified, and I had the articles of the house of God restored, along with the grain offering and frankincense. Man, Nehemiah took drastic and immediate action. First, he showed Tobiah the door, and then he threw out Tobiah's furniture, he threw out the TV, he threw out the computer, he threw out the stereo system, he just threw it all out into the street. Then he gave order to have the rooms cleansed. Friends, Nehemiah wanted every trace of Tobiah's presence removed from the temple. He had the room disinfected. In fact, when it says um, uh, uh, sanctified or cleansed, do you know what the actual translation is in Hebrew? It's fumigated. He had the room fumigated. Man, he didn't even want the smell of his cologne lingering in the air. That's what he's serious. He was serious about this. Nehemiah, he could not listen to this. He could not live with wrong in a place that was built for right. Can I say that again? Nehemiah couldn't live with wrong in a place that was built for right. Friends, the same should be true of your life. You, you need to be careful not to allow those who make poor choices to influence your life, which is meant for doing right. I used to tell students this all the time when I, back when I was a youth pastor. I'd say, hey, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Friends, are there relationships that you're currently in that might require some boundaries to be set? Do you have relationships that maybe need to be cut off? I know it's hard. Are you in a dating relationship that needs to end? Have you allowed someone into your inner circle of influence that needs to be moved to an outer ring? Friends, I would encourage you to evaluate the relationships that you have and learn from Eliashib's mistake. The second thing that I learned, don't compromise being generous. We shouldn't compromise being generous. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Here's what it says. I also found out that because the portions of the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing the service had gone back out to their, his own fields. They couldn't support themselves. Therefore, I rebuked the officials, saying, Why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and the singers together. I stationed them at their posts. Then all Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and oil into the storehouses. I appointed as treasures over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, with Hanan son of Zakur, son of Matt, to assist them. I, I'm terrible with names. Because, don't miss this, they were considered trustworthy. They were trustworthy. 
They were responsible for the distribution to their colleagues. Friends, listen, because Eliashib compromised by allowing Tobiah back into the city and the temple, no less, it had a ripple effect. It did. We, we see what's happening here, just like that kudzu plant. Compromising on spiritual things that are important is beginning to spread. Now it's starting to affect the people. And what happens next is they start to neglect spiritual things, like generosity. Nehemiah discovers that the ministry at the temple was hampered in verse 10 because the Levites and singers, they had to go get jobs in the fields in order to survive. And the temple storerooms were empty because people had stopped bringing their gifts and offerings. They stopped being generous. Nehemiah, once again, he had to do some tough stuff. He not only rebuked them, but he also showed them what to do to make some changes. Nehemiah set up some administrative systems to ensure that the gifts would start rolling into the temple again. He encouraged the people to renew their commitment to God first in their finances, and they brought God what was rightfully his. They followed through, which is really cool. He then appointed four men in verse 13 to supervise the treasury and distribute those offerings. And they had one thing in common, and I love this. It said they were considered trustworthy. Friends, generosity is a part of being faithful and trustworthy in our relationship with God. Listen, I, as much as we hate to talk about it, I'm standing up here and I hate talking about it. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest with you. As much as we hate talking about it, God does ask us to be generous with 10% of what he has given us. It's called the tithe. That's what it's called. In essence, he's asking us to give 10% back to him and trust him to take care of us with 90%. Friends, but being generous, it makes us trustworthy. It does. I remember the first time that this, this concept, it just clicked with me. I was 17 years old. I was a baby Christian. I had just received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my youth pastor named Brad at the time, he would gather me and a bunch of my, my, my uh, buddies, there were six of us, every Friday we'd meet him for Bible study at McDonald's. And it was really cool. He just was teaching us some foundation stuff. And he would go to, up and we'd all sit and he would go up and he'd order a whole bunch of food. Okay, so a bunch of fries, a bunch of burgers, a couple milkshakes, and he'd bring all this food out to us on a tray and he'd set it in front of us. And of course, we would just attack this food because we were high school boys. And I remember one day, my, my best friend Alex, he had the tray, and he grabbed a carton of fries, and he kind of, he just kind of laid the fries out on the tray, and he just started going to town with fries, just like, just inhaling these things. And I'll never forget this. Brad, my youth pastor, started to reach across the table to take a fry, and Alex smacked his hand. And it's, it's like, everybody was like, what's he going to do? And Brad, my youth pastor, was a little shocked at first. And then he realized he had all of our attention. And then he looked at Alex and said, Alex, let me ask you a question. He always had this way of turning it into a lesson. He said, Alex, who bought the fries? And Alex was like, you did. So who really do the fries belong to? You. So Alex, you need to know, so I love you, man. And I, I gave you the fries even though they're mine. And why can't you share with me just a portion of what I've given to you? And he learned, he used it as this teaching moment. And I'm telling you, listen to me. It clicked. 
in my brain for the first time, I understood how God works. Guys, everything we have belongs to him. Everything. But he's given it to you because he loves you. And so often God says, hey, give me a portion back. That's all, just a small portion. And you know what we do? We smack his hand. And God says, all I want is a portion. You can keep the 90%. But that's what we do. And so I, I got to ask you, I got to ask you the hard question. And we learn from these folks. Are you cultivating a heart of generosity by giving back to God what's already his? We got to wrestle with that. Third thing I learned. Don't compromise a day of rest. A day of rest. Let's pick this up at verse 15. It says this, At that time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Don't miss that. In fact, if you have your Bible, you might want to underline that. They were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys, along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. There it is again. So I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians living there were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil you are doing? You're profaning the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all his disaster on us and on the city? And now you're rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now, I love this. When shadows began to fall on the gates, basically when it started to get dark, uh, uh, before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the gates be closed and not opened until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath day. There's two problems that I see that are taking place here that we need to learn from. Obviously, the first one I pointed out, first, they were not honoring the Sabbath and they were take, and they, and taking a day to rest from their activities. And God had asked them to do that. And second, there was a residual because of that. And here's what I learned. Second, because of this greed and a desire for wealth, it started to creep, just like a kudzu plant, into the lives of the people, into their lifestyle. You see, when money becomes an idol, you can ill afford to take a day off, right? So how did Nehemiah take action? Man, he shut it down. He rebuked the people. He locked the gates and would not allow any merchant activity on the Sabbath day. So let me ask you this question. Because God has still asked us to take a day of rest today. He says, take a day of rest. Because he knows it's important. How drastic do you need to get to make sure that you take a day of rest? Rest for your body, rest for your mind, rest for your finances. Seriously, what do you need to do? I started thinking about this, like how radical do we need to be? And I, I came up with this idea. I don't know if it's any good. Maybe you'll latch onto it. What if, what if in your house, moving forward, you made every computer in your house off limits on Sundays? You don't even turn them on. No checking email. No Amazon ordering. Nothing. What if? Let me get really crazy on you, and please don't, my, if there are any teens here, they'll probably throw their shoe at me. 
What if you were really crazy and you didn't even touch your cell phone on your day of rest? Not going to look at it. Not going to pick it up. What's my point? We need to learn the discipline of rest. Unplugging. By the way, you know, we don't need to be legalistic about this, you guys. You know, your day of rest, it doesn't have to be Sunday. It's fine if it is. Maybe it's a different day for you. For me, I'm just telling you, I try to take Friday off. That's my day off. I try to rest that day. Find ways to unplug and slow down. God doesn't do it just because. He does it. He asks us because he knows it's good for us. If I could get at the heart, can I just get at the heart of this a little bit deeper and into the why, why we should do this? You know what happens when we don't take time to unplug? I, I think we lose our perspective. Really, I, I, I do. I, I think this is the heart of what a Sabbath, a day of rest, it's all about. It's about creating a space to remember the Creator, to enjoy creation, and to remember redemption. That's what it's about. We're to remember who created us. We're to remember who saved us. We're to remember who provides for us. We're to stop and remember. These concepts, they're so important to us as people of faith that God calls on us to stop and rest. The Israelites forgot that. I think we would be wise to remember it. What do you got to do? Fourth and final thing that I learned from the Israelites is that we shouldn't compromise our spiritual growth. Don't compromise your spiritual growth. Let's pick this up in verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them cursed them, beat some of their men, yikes, and pulled out their hair, ow. I forced them to take an oath before God, and I said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to the sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Listen to me, he says. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God, and God had made him king over all Israel. Yet, foreign women drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully and against our God by marrying foreign women? You see, when Nehemiah returned, he saw that the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. He also heard their children speaking foreign languages. Do you know what that means? That means that they couldn't read God's word and they couldn't participate in worship services. They didn't know what was going on. By compromising in their relationships and marriages, their sins were damaging their home. It was damaging their family life and it was damaging their spiritual growth. Friends, listen to this. Only a few years earlier, as God's people, as they were working on the walls, chapter 4 tells us, do you know what it says? It says the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod had plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. So to translate, yesterday's enemies had become today's marriage partners. They had allowed sin to creep in once again just like a kudzu plant. 
and it grew and it overtook and it influenced everything. Now, Nehemiah hits the roof. Like, I am shocked by his behavior, but I studied this a little bit more. He said, man, I, I rebuked them. I called down curses on them. I beat some of the men, and I pulled out their hair. Yikes. Friends, by calling down curses on them, he was pronouncing God's judgment on their actions. He was so mad in his anger, so intense, that he smacked some of the husbands around, and he yanked out their hair. Most likely, it was their beards. Ow. Now, this may seem like, whoa, this is kind of like violent and inappropriate behavior for a man of God. But when we interpret Nehemiah's actions against the backdrop of Israel's history, it's a little bit easier to understand his intense feelings. Do you know why? This same sin that he called out is the primary reason that they were taken into Babylonian captivity in the first place. It's true. They were doing it all over again. I'm surprised Nehemiah wasn't pulling his hair out. You know what I'm saying? Nehemiah knew. He knew that pagan women led even their wisest king, Solomon, to sin and fall away from God. And Nehemiah himself, he had personally experienced the results of Solomon's sin. That's why his grandparents had been carried off to Babylon. That's why he was stuck as a servant to King Artaxerxes. There was no way that Nehemiah wanted God's judgment to fall on Israel again. He's like, why are we doing this again? This is madness. That's why he was so upset. The people of Israel, they compromised with sin, maybe based on security or economics. But friends, those are secondary issues compared to faith. You see, I believe this was, this was really an issue of discipleship. I believe this. Discipleship, it's a churchy word for spiritual growth. God doesn't save you and then say, well, good luck with the rest of your life. No, he wants you to grow. That's discipleship. He wants you to learn from him and apply his truth and his guidance so that you can live life to the full. But living life to the full is only going to happen if we allow him to grow us, to influence us. That's why we have God's word. It's God's word written directly to you for your benefit to grow. When we invite false beliefs, false idols, and false practices into our lives, like the people of Israel did here, these things influence spiritual growth and what we believe, and not always for the better. Friends, listen to me. Everything has influence on your spiritual life everything. Every book you read, every show you watch, every podcast you listen to, every relationship you are in, everything you allow in has influence on your walk with God for good or for bad. So I got to ask the question. Ask yourself, are, are there things, God, are there things that I've allowed into my life that are influencing me away from you? I think we have to ask that question. The people of Israel invited into their lives unhealthy relationships, unhealthy beliefs, and unhealthy practices. And you know what it did? It pulled them away from God. Ask yourself right now, are the things that you're reading or watching or listening to, are they influencing you towards God? Or are they influencing you away from God? If they're influencing you, hey, maybe it's time to take a few drastic measures 
to deal with them. People like to see how close they can get to the line, right? I'm the same way. We need to avoid, we need to learn to avoid getting close to the line altogether. But it's like in our nature to walk up to the line to get as close as we can. And then, you know, kind of look around and then we stick our toe over the line to see if anything happens. And before we were like, well, that wasn't so bad. And then, then we cross the line and we're like, oh, that's not so bad. And, and we keep going. That's compromise. And we do the same things when we compromise with sin today. And the next thing you know, you've walked so far away from God and you don't know where you're at. You don't know, like, how did I get here? That's the danger of compromising with sin. Now, you may be here today thinking you've walked so far away from God and it's hopeless. And I'm here to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. Do you know that every time the people of Israel screwed up and asked for a do-over, guess what? God gave it to them. Every time. Do you know what it says in 1 John? It's like the formula for fixing this. It says this in 1 John 1. It says, if we confess our sins, God will forgive us We can trust God to do this. He always does what is right. He will make us clean from all the wrong things we've done. Friends, it's easy to look at God in the Old Testament and say, man, it seems like a mean dude. No, no, listen to me. God is full of grace because he gave them do-overs again and again and again and again. And I'm telling you, forgiveness and redemption can be found in Jesus Christ. If you need a do-over today, guess what? I can promise you that if you ask God for it, he will give it to you. But he's also going to ask you to do the hard things too. I'm not going to candy coat it. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be freed from sins that can trip you up. And to do that, guess what? We've got to muster up the courage to confront that compromise, those areas where we've slipped. And we've got to confess that. And then we've got to turn around and start heading back towards God. That's how we do it. That's what God wants for your life. So starting today, can I just challenge us? Let's be a people that confess our wrongdoing. Confess, maybe there's some things that I've messed up on here, God. Increase my sensitivity to sin. And guys, let's refuse to compromise on spiritual things like the Israelites did. Amen? I want to pray for you guys, and then we're going to worship. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for do-overs. And Lord, I want to pray for people here this morning. And uh, maybe they find themselves stuck in a relationship or someone that they've invited into their influence, their circle of influence, and they need to make a hard call there. Would you give them the strength to do it? And Lord, maybe for some of us, we haven't cultivated our heart of generosity. Lord, show us ways to be grateful and to give back to you. Maybe there's people here, Lord, who need rest. 
and they haven't set some boundaries to protect themselves, Lord, I pray they would take some action this week to say, I'm going to take this day and I'm going to rest. And I'm going to rem- remember you, God. And God, maybe there's areas in our lives that we've allowed outside influences to direct our spiritual walk. God, we confess those things to you and help us to take measures to cut those out because we want to get right with you again. For all of us that need a do-over, Lord, we ask for it right now. Thanks that you give us not just one or two, you give us thousands of do-overs. Thank you for every single one. Raise our sin awareness and help us to recognize sin before it's something we compromise on. Lord, we pray this and we ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ.